And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. I have my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you today, Pam? I'm wonderful. I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing blue skies. So that's always a good sign. And today is my grandson's seventh birthday. So happy birthday to Declan. Declan. Happy birthday, Declan. (laughs) That's great. Where does Declan live? He lives in Marseilles, Illinois. I know Marseilles. Right on the uh, Illinois River, right? Right on the Illinois River. But he doesn't live on the river, but yes, right there. So uh, if you would, give us an update on uh, how things are going at the hospital as it relates to COVID patients. I'd be happy to. So last week, we had said we had 40 positive inpatients, and uh, of those 46 were on vents, and there were four awaiting results. And this week, we have 43 positive inpatients with six on vents and four awaiting results. Um, although I think during the week, we went down under the 40s, you know, even to the low 30s, and then we went back up again. So it's constant turn of patients coming in and, and going out. Um, so in terms of deaths, we went from 141 deaths to 148 deaths. So we've had seven additional deaths in the past week. DuPage County had 63,396 positive patients last week, and we're up to 66,414 this week. Deaths went from 1,062 to 1,109, and the state went from 987,000 positive patients to 1 million. We passed the 1 million mark, and for uh, 1 million 40 positive patients and deaths went from 18,414 up to 19,365. So those are not such good numbers. Passing 1 million is not something we really wanted to do. In terms of discharges, our good news, we went from 1,245 discharges up to 1,277 discharges. And the recovery rate remains at 97%, which is nice. My recollection is Illinois has somewhere between 12 and 13 million people. So that's significant when over a million of uh, those 12 or 13 million were uh, infected with the the virus at one time that we know of, right? Because there could be quite a few more out there that we don't even know about. Right, because a lot of people don't bother going in and getting tested. They either think they have it or they just think they're, they got a cold and they never bother getting tested or they don't have any symptoms at all. Have you heard any theories about what percentage of the infected population is asymptomatic? Is it very, very low or is it pretty high? Uh, I have not heard a theory on that, and I think it's really hard to know. Yeah, um, but we all we all realize it's a reality, so hopefully people are being careful as it relates to that. So my, my next question relates to testing. I always ask you about testing, and is is your ability to test – at its max pretty much right now, or is there excess capacity in the system, so to speak? Um, We have plenty of capacity to test, uh, both by the number of people we can swab as well as the amount of testing 
equipment we have in um, swabs, whether we're doing it ourselves in terms of running the tests or whether we're sending it out. If somebody needs to be tested, we can get that done. So do you, do you think that in the near future, um, a hospital like yours might test folks without a doctor's order, or is that not in the cards? Uh, I don't know. I don't think that we've talked about it. So um, it's a good question. Maybe I'll bring that back to our committee and see what their thoughts are on that. I know there's a lot of employers and employees, for that matter, that that either want their employees tested or want to get tested themselves. And um, sometimes it's it would be easier if they didn't have to go to the doctor first and wait for the doctor to call back and get the order and then and then go in. So if they if they had an easy place where they could go and just get the test, I think. Uh, I think a lot of folks would appreciate that, but but I realize that uh, you're set up differently than uh, you know than a walk-in clinic, maybe at a Walgreens or something like that. Yeah, it's it, it's related to our workflows. So the way the order goes in, and then how is the patient notified, and are, how are they connected with the doctor if there's an issue, and through our Epic, it, it is connected to a physician's order. So we would have to redesign the whole. Epic connection, and um, so it would be. It's not as easy as you'd think it was. Sure, uh, I had asked you last week if you were testing, or if your testing told you what variant of the virus uh, that a person was infected with. And I, my recollection is you said no. So my my follow up question to that is: Do you see in the near future that that might be something that? Elmhurst Hospital or local hospitals might do is actually try to figure out which variant of the virus somebody's infected with. No, I don't. I don't see that. It, it takes a lot to start doing the gene sequencing, and we don't do that. So, nope. I don't think. Um, I think we're going to leave it up to the state to figure that one out. So, people who've already been infected, would you suggest that they kind of stand at the end of the line as it relates to vaccines? And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about healthcare workers, but just the general population, or or do you think they should come forward as soon as they can when the, the vaccine is ready for them? Well, uh, I think that's an opinion kind of question. Uh, and my opinion isn't a medical opinion. I, I do think, though, that there's some comments around if you've already had the disease and then you get the vaccination, you might have a different kind of reaction to the vaccination. So that might make somebody wonder if they want to do it. The other thing is those who have already had the disease should have some type of immunity built up and so may not be needing the vaccine as as quickly as others. So my personal opinion and uh, people that I know that have had the disease, they are not rushing to get vaccinated until um, you know, everybody else has been vaccinated, and then they will see if it's necessary to be vaccinated. So the last time you and I spoke was on the 5th of January, and my recollection is you had not had your second dose of the vaccine, and you were going to get that on Thursday the 7th, I believe. Is is that the case, and did you get that, and how did it go if you did? I did get it that day, and I did actually had less pain in my arm than from the first one, which, you know, is contrary to what has been said out there, that the second one is a lot worse. And I did not have any side effects. So I don't know if I'm just very lucky because I know other people have had um, side effects and have had, had more pain, but I did not. It went very smoothly and I feel very blessed. And as it relates to your employees, um, I know that it's voluntary. We've, we've mentioned that. 
Uh, how many of those that have stepped forward have actually gotten at least one dose of the vaccination so far? All of them or most? About 60% of our employees have gotten vaccinated. We have enough vaccines to do all of our employees, and so we're still trying to um, help people get vaccinated. But there is about 10% of the employees across the system that have had COVID already, so they may be choosing not to get vaccinated. And there are some people who have personal reasons why they don't want to be vaccinated, but we are running at about 60% right now of employees that are vaccinated. And is is part of that uh, related to your ability to give vaccinations? Like there's just logistics, or is it mostly just people that haven't had a chance to step forward yet? No, it's not logistics. We could give the vaccinations if they, and what we're doing is opening uh, more vaccinations starting tomorrow for more people to sign up. So we're hoping those people will start signing up and we'll get more done. You've um, mentioned that you didn't have any really bad side effects. Have you had any employees miss a day or two of work because of side effects from the vaccine? Yes, we've had a few employees uh, miss some work and just a few about uh, at Elmhurst, I think there was a total of 13 employees that had reactions, and of that, a handful had missed a few days of work, and the reactions were primarily fever, body aches, pain, muscle joint pains, and um, at the pain at this in- injection site, headaches, and fatigue, and uh, and their treatment was basically ibuprofen or acetaminophen, ice pack or hot pack on the IV site, and fluids and rest, and they were off for a few days and came back to work. Um, of all the employees that were uh, had any reaction, uh, only a f- uh, three ended up getting hospitalized, and all three got hospitalized for other reasons other than the, um, the vaccination. But it was right. It was after the vaccination, but it was other issues not related to the vaccine. I've seen some folks on social media, generally the what I would term the anti-vaxxers, that have said that there's all these horrible side effects, and it's a a, a fairly large number of people who get vaccinated as a percentage, you know, have bad side effects. But you're not really seeing that in practice, correct? Correct. We're not. We're seeing a very small number. And. And how about uh, you said that, and maybe you maybe you mentioned this already. You said that your side effects for the second dose, uh, you know, was almost easier than the the first dose. Is is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing anything different? You know, from your whole um, staff, are there a lot of folks that are having a little more problems with the second than the first? No, really, very few. It's just a few have had more problems, but not a lot. It's it's um, it's actually been very nice to see because everybody's anticipated side effects and pain, and maybe maybe it's because we anticipated it. It didn't impact us because it, w- it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. <laughs> well, that's all great news. I'm uh, I'm encouraged by that. So that's awesome. So for the folks that are going to get a second dose and haven't had it yet. Are those second doses arriving as you expected uh, on campus, so to speak? Yes, we were guaranteed them, and they arrived on time, and we were able to give them, and we are making sure that we have a second dose for everybody. It is um, the only way we can give the vaccine is if we know we're going to have a second dose for people because this is, um, remember when we talked about 
FDA approval under an experimental mm -hmm. um, regime, that is being defined as requiring two doses in the United States, and that's why we have to do it this way. Okay. Have, um, have any of the employees that you have that have actually been vaccinated um, at some point after that contracted the virus? So we have had uh, a couple of employees uh, who had the vaccine and after the first vaccine did contract the virus before they got their second dose. So remember, the first dose, you don't have your maximum effectiveness. You only have about half the effectiveness. That's why you, it requires a second dose. And so um, to get the maximum effectiveness, you have to have the second dose in you. And, you know, I think it's like a week or two before it's truly all the way effective. So we do know of a few employees that received, that got COVID after their first vaccine. Have uh, any of the doses of the vaccine that the hospitals received been administered to anybody in the general population yet, like folks over a certain age? Not here, no. And will that be soon, do you think? We think so. We think we're going to get approval to move forward fairly soon. We're, we're waiting for the state, and uh, as soon as they tell us, we're going to move forward with it. We're in the process of working out all the logistics that will be necessary to be able to manage that whole process. So it's more waiting for the, the government, so to speak, to give the okay. You you folks are ready, ready and uh, able whenever you get the okay. Um, and I assume that you, you don't have large quantities on, on site, correct? No, we don't have large quantities, but we know we can get it and we know it'll come. So we're not worried about that. It's just a matter of having, we have to put a few logistics in place um, and we're working on that, and, and we know the timing could be very soon, so we're, we're ramping up to make sure everything's ready the minute we get the approval. We do have the site opened at, um, in Downers Grove that I talked about last time, where we can do the swabbing as well as do vaccines, and we, uh, we've been doing, we've done 288 swabs there already, and it's been open a week, and we've done 180 vaccines to our employees there, but that site could be opened up for vaccines in the future, as well as we're looking at a site where we can do massive amounts of vaccines very quickly over a short period of time so that we can get, well, we have about, when we look at all of our um, patients that belong to, that go to see doctors that are part of our organization, you know, we think that we'll be able to, uh, get all of those patients vaccinated if they want to over about approximately a 16 week time frame. So if I go to, if I want to get a flu shot, for instance, what qualification does somebody have to have to administer a, just a general flu shot for, does it need to be an RN or an MD? Well, I think, I think we have been able to train MAs, medical assistants also to give it under the supervision of a physician or a nurse, so we have been able to do that. The, the MA giving it would be under the supervision of a physician, and then um, an LPN or a nurse can give it under the nurse's supervision. So you have, a, you have different options in terms of when, when that actually becomes available to the general public, and you have to ramp that up. So, you know, there's a lot to that. You mentioned logistics and the waiting permission from the government. Do you know anything more about how you will identify those folks, like if the government says, okay, now you can give it to people over the age of 75, 
Do you have any more idea of how you'll figure out where to start? Yeah, we're going to be going to everybody who goes to our, our um, healthcare physicians that are part of the organization. So they're in Epic, and we can pull by age, and we can pull by where they live and doctors and, and, um, and be able to let them know what's available and when through their physicians. I, I saw something in the news today that said that um, – Hopefully, most of the population will be that wants to be vaccinated will be by midsummer. Do you think that's a reasonable time frame from what you've seen? Well, if we think we can, if we think we can do it in a sixteen-week period, what is it? So four months. If we start February first, February, March, April, May, yeah, we would be done. And it appears that you'll have enough of the vaccine to get everybody. I mean, I know you can you can do it from a an internal standpoint, are you hearing that the vaccine will be plentiful? That's what we're hearing. Well, that's good news. <laughs> so <laughs> switch gears for a minute away from COVID and back to the hospital in general. I know there were plans for some expansions, in particular a parking garage that I I heard of a year or a year and a half ago. And so my question is, is that still uh, in the plans, in, in the planning stage or what can we look for as it relates to any expansion? Well, we have the plans, and we have put that on hold for the uh, parking garage. And, um, you know, even though we are continuing our other lines of uh, business here in terms of patients that are non-COVID coming into the hospital, the cost to the organization to continue to treat COVID patients, to continue to keep our staff safe, to continue to have enough PPE, and everything else is extremely high. So we can have very high high volumes or very high revenue coming in, but costs are still outstripping any revenue coming in. So building a parking garage right now is not going to be a priority. The other thing is we don't know how many patients we will have in the building after COVID's over because people have learned how to get treatment other ways other than going into a hospital. And we don't know what will happen in the future in terms of how many people will come back to the hospital for treatment or whether, you know, we've learned some good ways of keeping people out of the hospital. So we're not going to rush to build something that we may not need in a year or two. And so we'll wait and evaluate that, you know, whether we're going to build a garage. Now, other buildings, we are in the process of internally redesigning a office spaces into an um, an outpatient. Uh, it's it's really an observation area for patients who have surgery for orthopedic procedures who are not eligible to be admitted but need to stay in the hospital like 23 hours or so to be checked out to make sure they're they're um, able to go home and be cared for at home. So we're building that eight-bed area now, but that's within the four walls of the hospital, not any ex- expanding the building in any way. And I think any building expansion is going to be done very, very, very cautiously because we don't know what healthcare is going to look like as we move forward. So it's that that new normal that we hear about in all different facets of life. How will medical treatment be be delivered in the future, how will anything be done in the future? Because we've learned different different ways to do things, haven't we? We certainly have, and some of that's really good for us because if we can keep people out of the hospital, that's in everybody's best interest because we know that, 
you know, when you go into the hospital, you never know what you're going to catch. Or, you know, it's just better to keep people healthy. And that's what we're trying to do. And so whether it's a video visit, we'll be keeping people using that. If we can um, do some procedures out of the hospital that we did in the hospital, I think that's wonderful. And I love that it's progress. Even if this was a really scary time for us, if we can learn from it and do things better for the future, I think that's great news. Has there uh, been any news of uh, any money in the latest stimulus package that might funnel down to local hospitals? I think we're always looking for that, so we'll we'll see what happens. Well, good luck with that. Uh, one last question: I just I had asked a few weeks ago about how the employee morale was, knowing that a vaccine was on the way. Well, now that many of them have received at least one and many two doses of the vaccine, has the uh, has the mood changed much because of that? I think the mood changed because people see a little light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's still hard because that light's not getting here fast enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's tired of the drudgery of it, but we are trying to do things that will show that we have movement. And one of the things we're doing is looking at visiting again and patients who don't have visitors, what we can do about having visitors here and making it easier for people to come into the hospital with their loved ones. So we're trying to move forward, and I do think everybody wants that and is feeling energized at least by the fact that that's going to happen soon in terms of, you know, that we can start doing things that we couldn't do before. And the current policy is one care partner for non-COVID patients and and no visitors for COVID patients, correct? Correct. Okay. That's uh that's got to be tough on those families and every week when we talk and there are a few more deaths, I uh my heart goes out to those families uh that aren't able to be with their loved ones when they pass. Well, now now let me say one thing. When someone's family member is dying, whether they're COVID or non-COVID, we do have exceptions and we do try to bring family in. We can't bring them all in at once, but we do try to get family in so that they can at least see their loved one before they pass, particularly if before they're not able to communicate back. So, you know, we, 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 it hurts us as much as it hurts the patients and the, and the families. Well, not, not as much because obviously it's not our family members, but we hate to see families grieving. We hate to see patients alone. It's the nurses, feel very torn up. They see what it would be like for them. They do not want that for any families. So we do make exceptions. But as a general rule, you know, your loved one could have COVID, could have been in here two weeks. You didn't know they were going to get sick and die and you didn't see him for two weeks. And then we were able to get you in for the last moment. But that's not, that's not a lot of consolation. Right. And it's not a lot of uh, saying what you need to say, but uh, that is good that you're able to, to get some of them, uh, their loved ones at, at the last moment. Um, well, as always, thank you for spending some time with us. And I, uh, again, want to shout out to your uh, grandson, Declan, and say happy birthday. And you have a great rest of your week. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. You too. And have a great week. And I hope the sun shines all week long. I do too. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.